Welcome to the first edition of the Eisner on the Ball podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Eisner, recording from FanRag Sports Headquarters here in sunny Phoenix, Arizona. Thanks for joining me, and let me tell you a little bit about what to expect from this podcast. We're going to cover all things NFL. We'll tackle the hot-button issues. We'll preview the week ahead, handicap games, and so much more. New episodes will drop every Wednesday night, so thank you very much for joining me. Earlier this week, the NFL sent a letter to the NFLPA regarding the pending PED investigation of Packers linebackers Clay Matthews and Julius Peppers, Steelers linebacker James Harrison, and free agent defensive lineman Mike Neal. In part, that statement reads, quote, There is no dispute that players are obligated to cooperate with the league's investigation, as you've repeatedly acknowledged. This obligation includes not only the responsibility to submit to an interview, but also the duty to provide meaningful responses to the questions posed. Nor is there a dispute that a failure to cooperate or an attempt to obstruct that investigation may result in discipline, including suspension from play, for conduct detrimental under Article 46 of the CBA and the NFL player contract. So what the NFL is saying here is they're tired of playing games. They want to interview those four players, Neal, Matthews, Peppers, and Harrison, about what they learned in that video, the dark side investigation, and they're done playing around. Those players have kind of kind of danced around taking any interviews, and for good reason. We'll get into that in a second. But the NFL is now flexing its muscle and saying, absolutely not. You're going to submit to our interviews, and you're going to do it soon, or you're going to find yourself suspended for conduct detrimental to the league, which is a very it's a catch-all term. It's what they like to use when they don't really have something super specific to punish somebody with. It's conduct detrimental to the league. Now, there's a couple issues here. One, for anyone who watched the Al Jazeera report, it is flimsy at best. Now, that's not to say it's out of the question that these players could have potentially acquired PEDs at some point in their career. But that's not what we're talking about. That's not the point. Any player anywhere in any professional sport could potentially have acquired or potentially used a PED. What we're talking about is the method in which this information was uncovered. And it was not even close, not even close to journalistically proper. Charlie Sly has since recanted everything. He was the key, he was the key witness in this investigation. He was the one that Al Jazeera went undercover without saying they were journalists and interviewed him and secretly recorded him with video cameras from a number of different people where he was making all of these claims. Now, you don't know if, you know, he's a slime ball. All right, trust me, he's a slime ball. This is not to defend Charlie Sly. He is certifiably a slime ball. But again, that's not the point. So I don't know if the scale of the potential backlash caused this or if he just was trying to brag the whole time, saying, hey, look, I've done all these great things. But once this report was coming out, he recanted everything he said. And he was the only witness. He was the only witness. He was the only one that named names. So I'm thinking here, He's just trying to boast himself because if, if you watch that investigation, they posed, one of the people posed that was undercover with him as an athlete that wanted to join whatever program he was running and wanted to be, have access to these PEDs to help his performance. So Charlie Sly is acting in this video like a salesman. He's trying to get a new client. He's trying to get someone to believe him enough to go with him. Hey, look at what I've done. Hey, you, you, what, what's the best way to get a client? You know who Peyton Manning is? Well, of course I know who Peyton Manning is. I've helped him. I can get you the same stuff that Peyton Manning's got, that Clay Matthews has got, 
that Julius Peppers has got, that James Harrison has got, that Mike Neal has got. If you're sitting in that room with Charlie Sly, you got to be thinking to yourself, if that's the mentality you're in, if, wow, I can get the same stuff those guys are on? Sign me up. So he's acting as a salesman. A salesman. How truthful are most salesmen in that area? When they're trying to sell you a product, it's not saying all salesmen are, are untrustworthy, but they're going to talk up a lot of things. They might say things that you want to hear that may not be true. So what would stop Charlie Sly from doing just that? And that's the player's argument. That is what they're saying. They're saying, why should I submit to an interview with the NFL based on some flimsy accusation from somebody that's already proven to be untrustworthy. Why should I do that? What accusations do I have to defend myself from? James Harrison talked specifically about that the other day. James Harrison is uh, a pedophile. They go, they go suspend me for being an investigation for being a pedophile just because somebody said it. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to answer questions for, for every little, little thing that, you know, some Tom, Dick, and Harry comes up with. Now, the pedophile quote might be a little extreme, but it makes sense. It makes sense. Why does James Harrison and the other names on this list, for example, need to defend himself against an accusation that's flimsy at best? It's very flimsy. It might have looked bad for the league. It was on a cable network, even if it was Al Jazeera America, which in the United States is not like being on CNN or Fox or MSNBC or CBS or NBC Nightly News. But ultimately, you have a con artist that was trying to sell himself as someone who does business illegally, so he's already not trustworthy, that also has recanted everything that he said in that video as being untrue. And now the NFL, in an effort, again, it's a singular effort. It's an effort to flex their muscle. It's an effort for Roger Goodell and company to show I've got this power. This is not about the investigation. I don't believe for one second the NFL is genuinely concerned about Matthews, Peppers, Harrison, and Mike Neal taking performance-enhancing drugs. Their interview sequence with Peyton Manning came and went quickly. All they want is the interview. They want the ability. They want to flex that power. They want to flex that power. And it, it's very, very interesting. And, and you know, in the NFLPA, you know, some might say, hey, why don't they just submit to this? If those guys did nothing wrong, if, the, if those four players, as they say, have done nothing wrong, why should they not at least submit to the interview? Well, the players don't want to. Because, again, you look at what happened with Deflategate. That battle with Tom Brady... After, I would say, about two days, maybe a week, that wasn't about deflated balls. That wasn't about being competitive on the field. That wasn't about the Colts getting screwed over in the first half. It wasn't about any of that. It was about how much power does Roger Goodell have under the current CBA. 
And given that Tom Brady has been suspended four games to start this season, the answer is a lot. And that's a scary thought for the players and the Players Association. So when things like this come up, they have to fight it. Eric Winston talked about this as well. We've spent the last few days advising our players and uh, and letting them know in a a completely honest and open way exactly what their options are, what they want to do. Each case is different. Each guy is different. Each guy um, might want to do different things. So we're going to, no matter what each guy wants to do, we're going to fight for them like crazy like we always do. And we're going to go and have our players' backs, and uh, that's what we're all about. They have to fight this. They have to. They have no choice. They cannot let the NFL, if you're the NFLPA, you cannot let the NFL win this. And they might have to. Roger Goodell's power might have been revealed to be way too much. And that's something they're going to have to work on in the next CBA. And good luck. Because the NFLPA, if you look at the leagues, the other PAs around the leagues, in the United States at least, you got to wonder because they don't have guaranteed contracts, but other leagues do. Other leagues' commissioners have a lot of power, but do they have this much power? Do they have the power to suspend players for not submitting to an interview because somebody somewhere accused them of a wrongdoing? I, I, don't, I can't think of one. I, I, I can't. If you can, please, please, uh, you know, let me know. Reach out to me at JME Eisner on Twitter. Jamie at FanRag Sports via email. Let me know if there's another case like this that you can think of. But the problem is the NFLPA might be stuck. They might be stuck. And right now, he hasn't been accused of anything from a legitimate source. Technically, the person accusing James Harrison has said he lied. He said he lied. You know, former teammate Harrison, Charlie Batch, also talked about this topic. This is a hot topic around the NFL right now because this goes well beyond James Harrison. This is not a James Harrison issue. Say what you want about him. Say what you want about the Steelers. This is not. A single-player, single-team issue. This is a players versus league issue. Here's Charlie Batch on the topic. It's tricky and because he hasn't been accused of anything. He hasn't tested positive for any test. And here you are because of an accusation. Now he has to go through this whole process, and it's frustrating because anybody can turn around and accuse something, and then all of a sudden, what, you have to go for an interview for that? Now, the similar thread in all three of those clips that I've played for you in this segment, one is from James Harrison himself, one's from Eric Winston, the leader of the NFLPA, former player, Charlie Batch, former teammate of Harrison, former player. So it's very easy to look at those and say, okay, we're having a players versus league moment here. The players are always going to side with the players. The leagues are always going to side with the league. But I think what's very interesting about this one is the support James Harrison is getting from his team and from his coach. Here's what Mike Tomlin, when asked about James Harrison, here's what he had to say. I won't advise James of anything. That, that's, that has nothing to do with us. That's between him and the PA and the league, and I assume that he is going to uh, do what he needs to do. So Coach Tomlin, whose only job is to win football games, and James Harrison being on the field helps him win football games, will support his player, which could mean James Harrison missing football games, missing regular season contests on a Super Bowl contending team, regular season contests in a a fairly tough division. The Bengals have run that division pretty well. 
The Ravens, they lost a lot of close games last year. They're not going to be as bad this year. The Steelers are in a very precarious spot if they want to be AFC North winners versus a wild card contender. And he is supporting his player. Now, you can dismiss that as, well, a coach should defend his player. But as we'll get to later in the show, teams and coaches aren't going to always defend their player if they think that player is truly in the wrong. They don't think he's in the wrong. And to be, you know what? They're right. James Harrison is right. The NFLPA is right. Now, what's right doesn't necessarily mean what's going to happen. If I had to guess, those four players will sit in front of Goodell or, or whomever and have to answer questions. Because in the end, Goodell can sit and wait. If they suspend these players to try to fight that, to overturn it, that's a mess. That's a mess. That takes time. The regular season's real close. So that NFL can hold time over them as well. And you know what? They might be able to do this. We don't really know quite yet. But they might be able to do this. You know, it's a, it's an incredible incredible thought but they might actually be able to do this but let's let's get back to on the field here let's get back to on the field play let's get away from the dark side let's get away from the al jazz report we rarely get a ton of trades in the nfl you know the other sports take full advantage of their trade deadline their time in the offseason time at the draft now we get draft trades but a lot of times they're pick for pick and those are exciting and those are future players but rarely do you see I don't know, big-name players, name players, roster-caliber players on the move very often in the NFL. It's a rarity. So this week when you woke up and saw Doriel Green-Beckham, who the Titans took in the second round just two drafts ago, traded to the Philadelphia Eagles for a depth offensive lineman, Dennis Kelly. What does that say? I'll tell you what that says to me. What that says to me is they were just looking to get rid of him. They were already ready to give up on their second round pick from two years ago. And let's not pretend like the Titans are just loaded at wide receiver. They have wide receivers. They just signed Andre Johnson for some reason to a two-year deal. I don't get that one. He looked finished. D-O-N-E finished last year. But they signed him to a two-year deal. Somebody had to go. And there, there there are a lot of receivers there with a lot of talent. There's talent there. Justin Hunter is talented. Doriel Green Beckham was, still is, but not for them, talented. Andre Johnson, I'm not sure how much he's got left in the tank, but he, he's a hell of a player in his career. So they have a lot of potential there. Rashad Matthews is there. He's got a ton of potential. Harry Douglas, in the right role as a third or fourth receiver? Absolutely. He makes sense. You already got Delaney Walker at tight end. But I think the key part of this trade, and what's very important to remember, they traded him for a depth offensive lineman and not a draft pick. I have a hard time believing that the Eagles could not, or would not, excuse me, have given up a conditional mid-round pick, conditional fourth, conditional fifth, for the shot and a guy that was in the second round two years ago. I have a hard time believing there was not a suitor around the league willing to give up a mid-round draft pick. And in the NFL, 
Mid-round draft picks are like gold. They're like gold. Teams love the stockpile because you never know what you're going to get. You never know. But they didn't even get that. And there's really no reports out there that they even tried to get that. That it wasn't like, oh, we had to take the best offer. They just wanted to make this move. And they made a one-for-one move. And I think that was a message. They wanted Doriel Green Beckham off their team. And that's not a good sign for someone like Doriel Green Beckham. Who's wasted his talent. He has flat out wasted his talent so far. He's had off the field issues between college and the NFL. He got pulled over and arrested for having a, a large amount of marijuana on his person. Uh, there was a, an alleged violent incident that involved allegedly breaking into a, a house and, and, and pushing somebody there uh, that no charges were end up being brought on it. But there's no doubt that there are some off-the-field issues. And they were known when... Let's be realistic. They were known when the Titans drafted him. This is not something new. They didn't draft a model citizen and then something bad happened once he got his first deal. They knew what they were getting into, but they went and took the chance because he has a lot of potential. But once they got him on the field, he wasn't doing much better than he was off the field. There were reports of him not lining up right in his first year and in his second camp. Not lining up right? You can't line up right? A second-round wide receiver with that much talent can't put in the effort, the mental reps, to get his head right on the field, to line up to be the, the, fundam, the fundamentals. He couldn't do it. That speaks volumes. That speaks volumes. So you put all these things together, and you say, this is year two. This is a high pick. Teams don't give up on second-round picks this quickly. They just don't. They, they do not give up on second-round picks this quickly. Which they basically, they gave up on him. They, this was barely above cutting him. This is barely above cutting him. With all due respect to Dennis Kelly. But the situation says, this isn't about Dennis Kelly. This isn't a situation where we had to go get Dennis Kelly. We had to do whatever we could to get him. He was the guy that they said, hey, this guy could help our team. But more importantly, we can get rid of Doriel Green Beckham. And they did. So why? Why, oh, why? Would the Eagles want somebody like this, you have to say, right? That, that's the next question is why would the Eagles want a receiver that the team he was on, the team that drafted him, the one that said, yes, you're a first-round talent that slipped to us in the second round. We're going to take the risk on you. And a year later, give up on him? Why would you want that? Well, it, it's simple. It's low-risk, high-upside. Howie Roseman said as much. He said, and I quote, because of where we are, from a pick standpoint, going forward, we're going to have to take some chances. He told that to John McMullen of todayspigskin.com. They're going to have to take some chances. And you know what? It's a calculated risk. It makes sense for the Eagles to do that. It makes a ton of sense. They don't have a lot of receiving depth right now. They don't have a ton of picks moving forward to address that position. They didn't give up much. I mean, I think that's the biggest thing. They did not give up much to get him. And right now, are, are we sure Ruben Randall can handle the abilities of a starting wide receiver? I'm not. He had plenty of opportunity with Victor Cruz hurt in New York to make a mark on this league, and he hasn't done it yet. That's not to say he never will, but he hasn't done it yet. So that leaves you with Nelson Aguilar, a second-year player himself. They need help there. 
they certainly need help there. And I think they hope that maybe he turns into something. Maybe this is a wake-up call. Maybe he wakes up, he's in a new city, his whole world has been turned upside down. Maybe he will get it. Maybe he will finally get it. And maybe we can get Carson Wentz a receiver of the future. We put Aguilar, we put Dorio Green Beckham on both sides. And when those both those players are healthy and play to their potential, keyword potential, that is a formidable duo. A formidable duo. They didn't give up much. There's no risk for them. If something goes wrong, if he gets in trouble off the field, if he can't figure out where to line up in Philadelphia, you got him. You let him go. Or you fool some other team. You, you Trent Richards in them. You fool some other team into saying, no, 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 we can save this trouble guy. We can save him. He hasn't been with us yet. I don't like your chances when you've been with multiple NFL teams. So he hasn't done it yet. Got to give Doriel Green Beckham a chance. He's got a second chance here. He could change this whole thing around. This is simple. He could change this on-field stuff real simple. Get your head in the playbook. Get your head in the playbook and stay out of trouble. Those two, he's got so much natural talent that if he just, if he studies and stays out of trouble, he will be successful. Not can be, will be successful. But he's got to do those two things. And only he can do those two things. They're simple, but they may be the hardest things to do for some people. So I like this opportunity for Philadelphia. It's an interesting trade. I do wonder what's going to happen here. I'm excited to see what happens because I, I hope, I hope that it all gets worked out. I don't, I don't ever want to see. I don't want to ever see a, a, a young player, an old player, middle aged any any player with this much talent forced out because they're a bonehead. They're a knucklehead for boneheadedness. This is real simple. Hopefully, this is a wake up call for him in Philadelphia. And as we transition, speaking of wake-up calls, Marcel Darius. I don't know when this guy is going to get it, but he's going to have to get it very, very soon. It appears he's going to be suspended four games for violating the league's policy of substances of abuse. Now, it came out today, per Darius himself, that he missed a test. So he didn't fail a test, he missed a test. Now, say what you will about that, but if you can't show up for your drug test, that's a problem. Now, it's unfair to presume why he didn't show up. I mean, he could have, you know, ask, uh, ask Ryan Mallett. Maybe his alarm system didn't go off. You know, he said his phone didn't go off, didn't hear it, slept through it, missed the drug test. If that's all it was, it's, a, it's an awful mistake for somebody with a history. It's going to hurt him. It's going to hurt the Bills. But going forward, no harm, no foul. If he missed it for other reasons, if he missed it because he thought he might not pass it, which, again, we don't know. That's a whole different story. Because this is not the first time he's been suspended. This is the second year in a row the Bills are going to have to start the season without Marcel Darius on the team. He was suspended for the first game of 2015 after he was arrested for possession of a controlled substance. So it's now two years in a row, five games suspended. They need him, and they know it. I want to read to you the team statement. This is the team statement in full. Because this is a very odd. I have never, ever seen a team lay into a player with an official statement like they laid into Darius. Here's what they said. Quote, we are very disappointed Marcel chose to put himself first 
before his teammates, coaches, and the rest of the organization through his recent actions. From ownership down, we have made it clear his behavior is unacceptable. We will continue to take the necessary steps to work with him in, in order that he adhered. Excuse me. You will continue to take the. It was. Uh, this is where they kind of lost a little bit of copy editing here. Need a little proofreading, but they will continue to take the necessary steps to work with him, and so that he adheres to the policies set forth by our league. As an organization, we will move forward with our preparations for the start of the 2016 NFL season in Baltimore on September 11th. That is about a candid of a statement you're going to see from a professional sports organization in 2016. It is. You're not going to see anyone lay into somebody like that. Chose to put himself first before his teammates, coaches, and the rest of the organization. Chose to put himself first. Chose being the key word. Disappointed and chose. And I think those two words really add strength to this statement. Because you don't see this happen. I can't remember a time where I've seen this happen before. And for the Bills, this can't come at a worse time. It could not possibly be worse. Between all the injuries and now the suspension, the Bills look like they're in complete disarray. Complete disarray. This is a, the AFC East is a slightly more winnable division than usual. It really is. With Tom Brady out four games, the Patriots could go one and three. They could go two and two. I think it's likely they probably go two and two. But with Tom Brady, maybe they're a three and one team. Maybe they're four and oh. So that's one or two games, presumably, you're going to have an edge on them over a normal season. And the Bills aren't going to be in a place to take advantage of it. And some of it's because of injury. And look, you can't predict injury. You can't. There's nothing you can do. But to throw this on top of it, just just uh, just to throw it on the pile, this it, it hurts your organization. It hurts Rex Ryan. Rex Ryan might not make it through this season. He certainly might not make it to next season. The Bills haven't made the playoffs this millennium. And if there ever was a chance to dethrone the Patriots, it's right now. I mean, if there ever was a chance, it's right now. Because you could find yourself with a one or two game lead in that division. Before Tom Brady ever hits the field. And you just got to play run and hide. Got to run and hide. But it's going to be tough to run and hide when everybody's in the trainer's room or they're suspended and they're not allowed in the arena. How are they going to do that? It's got to be extremely disappointing for Bills fans. It's obviously, they said that we are very disappointed. The organization is livid. That statement, the organization is livid. They are sending a message. They are sending a message. And you know what? Darius has said, hey, this is on me. This is on me. And he's got to correct it. And just like Doriel Green Beckham, he has a chance to. Don't ever miss a drug test again. I don't care if you have to stay up all night so you don't fall asleep. I don't care if you have to set 20 alarms. I don't care if you have to hire somebody to bang on your door to wake you up. Don't miss a drug test again. Don't do anything that could cause you to possibly fail a drug test and get back on the field. That's all he's got to do. Again, another talented player making boneheaded mistakes that hurts him and his team. And he's got to show it. The team has called him out. They have put him on blast publicly. And they have shined the spotlight on him in a public venue. 
How will he respond? We'll find out. Transitioning now to Jerry Jones in the Hall of Fame. Jerry Jones and Paul Tagliabue, former commissioner Paul Tagliabue, were selected as finalists for the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 2017 as chosen by the Contributor Committee. So these obviously, in addition to players, coaches can go in the Hall of Fame, contributors. Jerry Jones, Paul Tagliabue, both going to get in there. I think if you're a commissioner like Paul Tagliabue, that was obvious. I mean, you have Pete Rozelle, you have Paul Tagliabue, and you have Roger Goodell. Those guys are going to be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. It's going to happen. But Jerry Jones is an interesting one because I, I heard his name, and I wondered, just out loud, is Jerry Jones a Hall of Famer? Because I never thought about him in that context. And, you know, one of the big keys for the Hall of Fame is what they call the smell test. When you say the person's name, does that make you think Hall of Famer? Would the game be missing? Could you not tell the story of the National Football League without mentioning this person's name, whether it was a player, a coach, GM, an owner? Could you do it? It's interesting. It's an interesting thought because Jerry Williams is very polarizing. Very, very polarizing. Some people love him. Some people hate him. He is, but he is the Cowboys. He is, it's not Jason Garrett. It's not Tony Romo. It's not Des Bryant. It's Jerry Jones. You think Dallas Cowboys, what's the first mental image that comes in your head? It's Jerry Jones. For better or for worse, it's Jones. Is he a Hall of Famer? Well, he's got three Super Bowl rings. That's quite an accomplishment for anybody. For whether you're a player, you're a coach, a general manager, or an owner, three Super Bowl rings is quite an accomplishment. It really is. But, one comment, did he meddle too much? Did he? Did Jerry Jones want to be too big? Did he meddle too much with the team? Did he just have his hands in too much? Should this team would have won five or six Super Bowls? Did he, did he win? He won three, but did he prevent them from winning two more? That's up for debate. I think he meddles too much. I think the hierarchy of coach, general manager, team president, slash owner needs to stay that way. I don't like coaches that are GMs. I don't like GMs that are owners. It, there, there has to be a hierarchy there. There's got to be, there, the buck's got to stop somewhere, and there also has to be defined tasks. The coach can't be a GM because the coach that goes into the, the GM that goes into a contract meeting can't be the coach that then leads that player out in the field. And vice versa. It can't happen. It can't happen. And in this case, the owner playing GM might not be the best person to be the GM. Might not know the best personnel. And if you're not the best person for the job, it's your job to find the best person for the job. So I wonder. I wonder if he's going to be, he's, I think he's going to be elected. Because it is hard, by the criteria I outlined before, it is hard to tell the story of the NFL. It, you certainly cannot tell the story of the Dallas Cowboys, the most valued franchise in the NFL, without Jerry Jones. Without that stadium. Without those rings. Without the controversy. So maybe he is a Hall of Famer. Let's see what Stephen Jones thinks. Well, I was just obviously, uh, you know, really uh, thrilled for him. I think he's worked so hard, and certainly his passion for the Cowboys as well as uh, the NFL is, uh, you know, goes without saying. But uh, certainly, given you know everything that he's about, I think has made a huge difference in terms of, you know, how we think about 
the NFL and how we think about these individual franchises. Now, Stephen Jones is obviously excited. He should be. Why wouldn't he? Jerry Jones in the Hall of Fame. I'm not sure, but it's tough to tell a story of the game without him. And I think regardless of what I think, he's probably getting in. But back on the field. Let's, let's move on back on the field. And, and another, this is a disappointing topic because we, we've talked earlier about quality, high-talented players that have messed up off the field or have made mental mistakes on the field that have caused them to hurt themselves, hurt their teams. And I just get, this one, I just get sad. Yeah, it's Rashad Perryman. It came out on Tuesday that Ravens have no timetable for his return. Now, Perryman missed his entire rookie season last year with knee issues. He was a first-round pick. The Ravens were depending on him to be the next great Ravens receiver, to lead that team into the future, to be the guy that Joe Flacco could rely on. And he missed the whole season. Kept get, He got hurt in camp, kept re-injuring, kept waiting, waiting, waiting. And see, it wasn't like he tore his ACL in camp last year. and was, okay, he's out for the year, done and done. He didn't have a season-ending injury at the time he got hurt. We didn't think so. So everyone kept waiting. Oh, when's Brashad coming back? When are we going to get Perryman on the field? And kept waiting and waiting and waiting. And, oh, well, he's getting closer, getting closer, and then a setback. Getting closer, then a setback. And eventually they shut him down. Which, I mean, that angers a fan base. And it's, it, it's not fair to the player. Like, like, Rashad Perryman wouldn't want, wouldn't give up anything to be healthy and on that field right now. So it's not fair to the player, but it's, it changes the perception. So then things got tossed around. Is he soft? Is he, it, that's ridiculous. It, it, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Guy got hurt. He's hurt. And in that profession, especially as a wide receiver, leg injuries are, are, are a killer. They are. You know, if, if you hurt your leg, you can go. You, I can go in the office tomorrow, and I could talk on a microphone. I could type on my computer. I don't need my ACL to do that. I prefer to keep my ACL, thank you very much, but I don't need it to do that. Bashad Perriman can't. But now there's no timetable. He got hurt again. He suffered an ACL injury in OTAs in June. And there's no timetable for him to return. And to me, I would be shocked, shocked, unless something happens in the next couple weeks to see him play in week one. Now, it doesn't mean he can't be back week two, week three, week four, week ten. But given what happened last year and the delays, 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 one has to wonder if he's going to play at all. And it's got be, it's, that's extremely disappointing. It's a sad story. The Ravens need him. The Ravens really need him. Steve Smith is getting up there in age and productive, but he got hurt last year. He's coming off an injury. All due respect to Mike Wallace and Kamar Aiken. And Mike Wallace, again, you hear great things about Mike Wallace in camp. He's, he's not going to be the receiver people thought he was going to be. But he's, he can be okay. But uh, Wallace and Aiken are fine if they have a healthy Steve Smith and Brashad Perryman. Those four together in their roles – Form a fine receiving core. But right now, they have two healthy wide receivers. And this is a team that can make the playoffs. I know they had a bad record last year. I, I wouldn't write the Ravens off. I really wouldn't. They lost a lot of close games. And you could say, well, they weren't quite good enough. And that's fair. Just because you lose a lot of close games doesn't mean you're automatically going to win those close games next year. And that's fair. But that's a team that could be a playoff team. And we've seen when that team gets in the postseason, there's one team. There is one team that the new... Okay, I guess I would say two teams, but let's say one in the AFC. There is one team in the AFC the New England Patriots fear, and I mean fear, 
in the postseason. Ask any Patriots fan, what's the one ASC team you fear the Patriots running into on the run to the Super Bowl? It's the Ravens. The Ravens are not afraid of the Patriots. They don't care about the Patriots' mystique. They don't care. They've beaten them before. They've beaten them in big games. They don't care. So that's a team that if they get in, they can do some damage. They can do some damage. And that's, again, as we talked earlier with the, before with the, with the Steelers and Harrison. That's a tough division. The Steelers are good. The Bengals are good. Browns are a little bit improved, but I don't think they're going to be in the playoff conversation. But the Steelers and Bengals will be. Only one team can win that division. Maybe all three of those teams get in the playoffs, but maybe not. The AFC West is going to be a little tight, too. You wonder if their records will be able to hold up, but they're going to be a tight division. They need Brashad Perryman, and, and I'm, I'm, start, I'm starting to lose hope. I'm really starting to lose hope, and I, and I hope I wish him the best. I hope everything turns out well for him because he's a tremendous talent, and, and I feel awful for the guy. I feel awful that he, he's, he finally gets drafted to the NFL, and he, still, he can't quite live his dream. It's been a nightmare for him, and that's awful. So for those that, that, are, that are yelling or complaining or, or going after him on social media or just – it's ridiculous. He, he got hurt. He got hurt. But I'm starting to lose hope. I, I really am. And uh, so, again, I'm starting to lose hope. San Francisco. What a mess. The 49ers. You know, it, it's weird. You, know, you look at the Bay Area. You look at the two franchises. You look at the San Francisco 49ers and you look at the Oakland Raiders. And if I asked you to stereotype what those two teams have been since, let's say, 2002, say, wow, you know, the 49ers, aside from the, the fiasco with Jim Harbaugh, at the end of Jim Harbaugh, that, that's a pretty solid franchise. They got a lot of Super Bowls in, the, in their back pocket. That's a, that's a premier franchise in the league. And the Oakland Raiders were a laughing stock for a while. They were. It's all shifted now in the Bay Area. Oakland Raiders, the team with expectations. Bill Williamson on todayspigskin.com wrote about that the other day. There are a lot of expectations for the Oakland Raiders right now. Bill Williamson says 10 wins. If they don't get 10 wins and make the playoffs, that's a disappointment. When is the last time you heard the rap about the Raiders? And San Francisco, they're, they're, they're finishing dead. They, maybe they'll, they'll fight the Rams for last place there, but they're going to be last place in the NFC West. There's not much hope there. They have a quarterback battle. Not one that anybody should probably care about, but they got one. They signed Christian Ponder on Tuesday to a one-year deal after Thad Lewis tore his ACL and is going to be out for the year. And the quarterback battle, and I put that in quotes, is between Blaine Gabbert and Colin Kaepernick. And Kaepernick's problem right now, beyond any, any many mechanical issues he might have, he can't get on the field. Last report was he had a dead arm. And that's why he's not on the field. And that's got to hurt him. I mean, if, if this is supposed to be a quarterback battle, which some are debating it's really not a battle. It really isn't. I mean, it's pretty simple. One guy's on the field, one guy's not. But according to Chip Kelly... Just because Gabbert got to play in week one of the preseason, he doesn't necessarily have a leg up on the competition. I don't look at it as a leg up because we're just going to judge him on their opportunities to get in there and go. So um, if, if Colin gets in there and does a great job when he's in there, I'm not going to say, well, he didn't get as many snaps as Blaine. It's still going to be you know, judged on who moves our, our offensive football team the best, who protects the football the best, uh, and gives us an opportunity to win games. So that's interesting. He doesn't have a leg up on the competition. So... One, I, I don't believe that. 
I think this is very simple. You got to go with the guy that's playing the games for you. He's on the field. He's healthy. This is not a situation where you have a clear number one. This is not Colin Kaepernick. Well, he is our clear number one, and he's hurt right now, so our backup's taking first-team reps. You don't have that. He might not have won this shot of healthy. And Chip Kelly's credit, I think he's not trying to undercut Colin Kaepernick. And maybe that's because it's his first year, maybe because he likes him, maybe because he might be higher on him than we are. He might see potential in his offense with a healthy Colin Kaepernick. But right now, Kaepernick is not healthy. Colin wouldn't have had isn't 100 percent and it wouldn't it wouldn't have been fair to put him in and then to judge him on that type of competition so we're just trying to get him healthy and see if we can get him ready for uh this week against him and i agree it is too soon to judge you give one week into the preseason and again as i've mentioned i think a hundred times kaepernick hasn't played yet but at some point he's gonna have to i mean if he thinks he's gonna win the starting job i mean the traditional sense you hope by week three of the preseason you name a starter and you can have that dress rehearsal, and you can use the starter that you want. Run the run, It's still going to be vanilla plays, but run some plays you want, some packages you want. You hope that by week three of the preseason, you can do that. Well, Kaepernick's already missed one opportunity to showcase himself. And it doesn't look like he's going to play this week either. So he's not going to play before week three? Do we, do we expect? Do we expect him to then just be handed the job? Maybe they decide to wait till week four. I mean, they don't have to make a decision until the regular season. Technically, they don't have to make a decision until somebody goes under center in week one. They will, but they don't have to. And you know what? Gab- Gabbert's still playing Gabbert. But he, he had one one kind of highlight moment in that preseason game. He had one little highlight moment. He went four for 10 for 63 yards and a touchdown, but a lot of it was on one play. It was a 43-yard touchdown pass to Vance McDonald. Bunch formation. See the Niners do that. This is the top of the screen to your left. Gabbert, downfield, at the 20, McDonald 15, Vance McDonald, touchdown, 49ers. Now, McDonald did a lot of the work there. Let's, let's be realistic. And again, it's, it's Blank Gabbert has not, has not shown to be an NFL starting quarterback, but he might have to be. He might have to be for this team. He might have to be. So you're, you're in an interesting spot right now if you're the 49ers. Because Gabbert's nothing special. But at least he's on the field. At least he's on the field. It's a long season ahead in San Francisco. And, you know, Chip Kelly does wonders with offenses. Say what you will about his ability to coach professionals versus college athletes. But he works wonders on offense. I don't even know. I don't know if he has the, the magic potion to make this offense work. I really don't. And, you know, and they're not the only team with the quarterback battle. Go to, go to Denver. And honestly, this is the most important quarterback battle in the NFL, and it's not close. It's also the most interesting. The Broncos are bona fide Super Bowl contenders right now. If they had a good or a great quarterback, they'd be the favorite. They would be the favorite. With Tom Brady out for four weeks, you wonder if the NFC teams like Arizona and Seattle, Green Bay, they're going to beat each other up. The Broncos, defending their championship, have to go into the season with a huge unknown under center. It's a battle between Mark Sanchez, Travis Emian. Paxton Lynch is in the conversation, but he's not going to start week one. He's a QB of the future. They took him in the first round for a reason. He's a QB of the future, but he's not the QB for now. But I think the interesting thing to me is that we know what we're going to get with Mark Sanchez. I feel like we do now. He's like the epitome of 
a guy. He's there. He's not going to kill your team. He's not going to be somebody that you're afraid is going to throw four, go over, you know, I'd say complete 25% of his passes and throw four picks and just completely obliterate your chances of winning a football game. He's not that guy. But he's also not going to be the guy that throws three touchdowns and no interceptions and wins it for you. He's a game manager, and he, need, he needs to do what he did with the Jets, not lose the game and let the defense win it. And he's fully capable of doing that. The question is, can he do it long enough to keep that job? Because I think the, the interesting thing is that Semyon is still in this battle. And the fact that Semyon is still being talked about right now at this point in the preseason tells me Sanchez hasn't won the job yet. Now, I think he will. I would be surprised, barring injury, I'd be surprised if Sanchez is not the one under center in week one. Whether he's still under center in week 17, whole different story. Whole, and that actually would be Paxton Lynch back in that question, but a whole different story. But right now, I'd be surprised if he's not under center week one. He should be under center week one. But I wonder if Semyon getting this playing time is sending a message. Hey, we're not, you weren't just going to be handed this job, Mark. You haven't done enough in this league to be handed this job. It's a prestigious job. It's not just a starting quarterback in the NFL. It's a starting quarterback for the defending Super Bowl champions. A team that could very well get their way back there this year. I can't remember a time where a Super Bowl contender, coming off a Super Bowl victory, had this big of a question mark at the quarterback position. It's tough. And, you know, the thing I keep going back and forth in my mind is, and it's important to remember, the Broncos had terrible, horrible, no good, very bad quarterback play last year. Peyton Manning was a shell of himself. He was a turnover machine. Brock Osweiler, for as much money as he got to go to Houston and as much as people have talked up his potential, did not play very well. He had peak moments, but go watch the second half of almost any game he was in. He, he, defense adjusted to him, and he had nothing to answer back with. That team won on the back of its defense in a solid running game, but mostly its defense. So part of me says, well, they've won with that type of quarterback play. It's difficult to foresee them getting worse quarterback play. But what you can't account for is the leadership loss of Peyton Manning. Bad quarterback play plus leadership of Peyton Manning might be a whole different story than bad quarterback play plus the leadership of Mark Sanchez in his first year with the Broncos or Semyon or a rookie in Paxton Lynch. Whole different ballgame. The preparation for everybody else in that offense changes with Peyton Manning out of that lineup. As bad as he was, he was still mentally sharp. So I wonder. You know, Paxton Lynch is a quarterback of the future. And I know people are going to call for him, and, and especially if the Broncos struggle or if they win and their offense struggles, which it's going to. There are going to be calls for Paxton Lynch right away. He's raw. Very, very raw. And the Broncos knew that when they took him. This isn't a surprise. So I honestly would not be shocked if he doesn't start a single game next year. I wouldn't be shocked. Maybe he plays sparingly. Maybe it's a couple snaps here and there if there's an injury or late in a game or a blowout. But I honestly would not be surprised. They seem to like Semyon. They really do. And if they do, they know. They're there every day with the player. They know. There's no reason to play Lynch this year. Hold the clipboard. Learn. And there's going to be a lot of temptation to make a move there. And I, I don't think it's the right idea. It's a good team. The Broncos are a good team. It's still my favorite to win the AFC West. Only slightly, but still my favorite to win the AFC West. Staying out West, and, and here's, here's what I'm going to go on a small rant here. It's that time of year again. It's that time of year in Seattle where everybody tells me how great Christine Michael is. 
Oh, this year's different. He looks great. He's in great shape. He's breaking tackles. He's the guy. This is finally the time for Christine Michael. You know the movie Mean Girls? And the scene says, stop trying to make fetch happen. That's how I feel about Christine Michael. Just stop trying to make Christine Michael happen. How many years? How many years do we have to hear about how close Christine Michael is? He's about to break through. He's about to do it. He's going to take that next step. He's going to be the true compliment to Marshawn Lynch. He's going to make Marshawn Lynch expendable and only fail to produce on the field. He had seven carries for 44 yards against the Chiefs. Okay. Fine. I, I don't want to make grandiose proclamations based on the preseason. That's fine. The difference is, there is one key difference this time. I will admit, there is one key difference. Marshawn Lynch is out of the picture. If there was ever a time, ever a time, for Christine Michael to emerge and to get the out, it's now. Thomas Rawls, he's no Marshawn Lynch. He's a good player. No Marshawn Lynch. So if you can't beat out Thomas Rawls for carries consistently over the course of the season, that's a problem. If you can't beat out rookie C.J. Procise for carries over the course of the season, that's a problem. This is your time. This is his time to shine. And I, I, I don't care how good he looks in practice. I don't care how good he looks physically. Until I see him produce on the field on a consistent basis, I'm not buying into it. And you shouldn't either. Sit back, wait. Sit back and wait and let's see. Because right now, I haven't seen enough yet. I've been burned too many times by Christine Michael. And I'll admit, if he comes out there and, and he kills it this season, I'll come right back on here and admit I was wrong. I'll be more than happy to. Because the guy's got a lot of talent. He looks the part. He certainly looks the part. But I want to see him act the part. I want to see him be the guy. I want to see him grab the reins and run with it. He's got the opportunity. He's got an opportunity now like he's never had before. Let's see if he runs with it. As I start the tail portion of the show here, I, there's a, one other topic that I was just thinking about at the top of my head here. Pittsburgh Steelers, we talked about them earlier. We talked about them with James Harrison. We've brought them up a couple different times when discussing the AFC North and their chances to maybe win that division or make a wild card spot. And I, I look down that team, and I'm, I'm a little worried because all these things kind of happened independently of each other, but they're all coming together. Ladarius Green still isn't on the field. And whether it, you know, it's apparently it's not the ankle, it's headaches, and nobody really knows what's going on, and there seems to be a lot of confusion from the players side, which is not, not a particularly good sign. And you got to wonder, the Steelers don't go out in free agency very often. They don't go out and, and splash the cash, as they say. But they did to get Ladarius Green. This is somebody we heard about. This is the guy that was going to take over Antonio Gates' job when Gates retired in San Diego. They were grooming him. He was going to be the next one. And shows potential, but never again, never really had that opportunity. Now he's getting that opportunity. Heath Miller is gone, and Roethlisberger loves to use his tight ends. Loves, loves, loves it. So with somebody of the talent level, the raw athletic ability of Ladarius Green being on the field for Pittsburgh, that's a scary thought for opposing defensive coordinators. Scary thought. Especially when you have to deal with Antonio Brown. You've got problems on the outside. You've got problems on the inside. You've got problems all over the place. And you've got, a, you've got a future Hall of Fame quarterback slinging the ball around. That's a scary offense. But Larry Screen isn't on the field. And you've got to wonder if, if it is indeed headaches. I'm not sure what the timetable would be for that. 
I don't think they know. I don't think Ladarius Green knows. That could be a couple-week thing. That could be a year thing. We don't know. And when he does get on the field, he hasn't played with these guys before. How long is it going to take him to adjust? So he's out right now. Martavis Bryant is suspended for the season. And I think everyone thinks, you know, they think receivers and they think Antonio Brown. And they should. Antonio Brown is an unbelievable talent. Probably the best receiver in the league. Just a, a complete freak of nature in all the good ways. But Martavis Bryant is really good too. And he has a completely different element to that offense. And when he got suspended, Ben Roethlisberger was not, 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 not a happy camp. Unfortunately, very disappointed, um, especially for a guy that uh, I, I felt like I'd really try to take him under my wing. You know, last year in a suspension, I talked to him, every, or when he went away, I talked to him every single day. Um, kind of challenged him when he thought he needed to be challenged. And I thought we had a really great relationship. And then you just feel kind of let down, feel disappointed. So no Green, no Bryant. You still got Antonio Brown. But there's questions in the backfield, too. Le'Veon Bell, is he, is he going to be suspended four games? Nobody seems to know right now. Le'Veon Bell is confident. He is confident in himself, and, he, and, and he's going to fight this. He's going to fight this, he says. But, man, they could miss him. When it first hit, you know, it was obviously a little frustrating, but, you know, I understand, you know, things happen. You know, everything happens for a reason, so I just want to, you know, just relax, you know, not take too much about it. You know, I'm sure people think, you know, a certain way about me. Um, feel a certain way about me, and that's understandable. But you know, like I said, I only can control what I can control. Um, I don't obviously want to be a distraction, you know. But this whole situation, um, the appeal um, is going to take its course. It's going to run its course. So I'm going to let everything handle itself. So try to imagine that offense: no Ladarius Green, no Martavis Bryant, no Le'Veon Bell. Yes, they still have Antonio Brown. Yes, David, Darius Hayward Bay is there, and they have Sammy Coates and D'Angelo Williams and. D'Angelo Williams is a fine player. He can hold his own. Darius Hayward Bay, Sammy Coates. They're, I'm not so sure those two players are going to be able to hold their own. Uh, Darius Hayward Bay is someone to keep an eye on because he has had production in the past. But the, both those players seem to fight the ball a bit. Uh, Ike Taylor made a very good point on, on one of the uh, NFL Network podcasts that Sammy Coates had to block a lot in college. He wasn't asked, so he's still learning to be a receiver, a full capable receiver that runs every round, not just nine routes up the field, not just a bubble screen and, and, and make somebody miss. So maybe there's more potential there. But those are two guys that fight the ball right now. I, I'm worried. I'm worried about that offense. Bryant's not coming back no matter what. Le'Veon Bell suspended four games, does have an injury history, does have a suspension history. You have to wonder how reliable he is going forward. Maybe he gets, maybe he doesn't get suspended at all, but those other factors are still in the play. We have no idea if Ladarius Green's going to miss no time the whole season, one game, five games. We don't know. We have no idea. But all I know is I'm looking at a bona fide Super Bowl contender with three big weapons that are three big question marks. Yeah, and finally to wrap up the show, and this came out a little bit ago, but I wanted to tackle this topic, that uh, the St. Louis Rams are looking into extending head coach Jeff Fisher and GM Les Snead before the start of the season. And I don't quite understand this. I want to know why Jeff Fisher, A, is Teflon, and B, what has he done to deserve an extension? He is 27-36-1. I'll say that again, 27-36-1 with the Rams. He's never made the playoffs with the Rams. His last playoff appearance and also his last winning season was in 2008 with the Titans. 2008! 
His last playoff win was in 2003. More than a dozen years ago. I know he made the Super Bowl in 99. I know he got within one yard of winning that Super Bowl, or at least having a chance to win that Super Bowl. That's a long time ago, though. That's an eternity ago. Especially in the NFL. That's an, that's an eternity. That might as well have been a different lifetime. You're in a new city. There's buzz surrounding the team. You're probably not going to have a winning record this year. But you have, you know, you have Todd Gurley. You have an exciting defense. You get a number one pick at quarterback that's going to probably start the season for you. There's a lot of hope, a lot of excitement, a lot of joy. You're in L.A. Let's clamor. Why not start your journey? Or why not? I'm not say start, but why would you extend him right now? Why would you not think in your mind, okay, we're going to have good world this year. You're going to have a honeymoon year. As long as the Rams win more than like three or four games, it's a honeymoon season in Hollywood. A honeymoon. They can do no wrong. But starting next year, that honeymoon is going to be over. So why are you going to tie your faith to someone who has never led that team to the playoffs? Has never led that team to a winning record? Why? New city, new excitement. Why not a new coach? Why not go out and find somebody that's going to lead this team to the future? If for nothing else, because this coach has proven in the past that he can't get you to the promised land. I don't. I continue to not understand why Jeff Fisher continues to be talked about in the way he is and continues to have the opportunities he gets. He is not... I'm not calling for somebody to be fired. I'm not. I don't, I don't like to do that. I don't understand the reward aspect of this. I don't understand what, what are you rewarding Jeff Fisher for? When is he taking your team above its talent level? When is the last time he took a team above its talent level? One could argue he's taken teams and finished with results below their talent level. So I don't understand why that warrants an extension. I don't. But if you disagree, again, reach out to me, Twitter, email. Let me know. And uh, I'd like to say thank you very much for joining me on the first episode of Eisner on the Football I hope everything went well for you guys. If you have any thoughts, suggestions, questions, comments, concerns, compliments, anything, hit me up on Twitter at J-M-E-E-I-S-N-E-R. Jamie at FanRag Sports goes right to my inbox. Get a little alert on my phone. Uh, it's also where you can send your hate mail, where I'm sure I'm going to get at some point here. So I really appreciate it, guys, and I will be back next week.